Will you pray with me? Gracious God, let your words come from me, only the message that you would have room to hear. And God, open all of our ears so that we know truly what your message is for each of us today. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. It's no surprise to hear that digital devices are changing the way we live our world today. Sometimes we forget that they're supposed to be tools that we use, not things that rule us. The Corinthian church had forgotten who it had served. Have we forgotten that? There was a gentleman named Jake who felt that his iPhone always absorbed his attention. For him, it was an occupational hazard because of the sort of job he had. He worked as a designer at Google Ventures, and so he was frequently having to be connected on his phone, looking things up, answering text messages, and the like. But then one day, he decided that his phone addiction was starting to encroach on his time with his kids, and he felt like he had to do something. So he took out his phone, and what do you know, I even carry mine around, and he deleted every app that he felt was distracting him. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, maybe a couple of games that he was playing, it all got wiped off his phone. It was a huge relief, he said. Although he thought it was going to be just a short time experiment, he'd just try it for a few days and see how it went, it kept on. He found that he had more time free, he said. It was a huge relief. And that short-term experiment turned into those apps all being turned off from his phone for a total of six years. Another woman named Sarah, a graphic designer, decided to make her phone experience more unpleasant. Most of these iPhones, if you have a smartphone or an Android, come in color. Probably not easy to see my screen, but I've got green on it and a play button and yellow. And you can get whole color pictures, so it looks sort of like the screen up there, maybe even more colorful. But apparently, and I'm going to have to look into this, there is a setting on your phone that turns to black and white. So Sarah tried turning her phone to black and white. And apparently, the grayscale is more irritating to people. It's not as fun and visually appealing to people who are used to seeing color to look at a black and white screen. She said she found it so irritating that she, suddenly she was less interested in using her phone for that fun stuff. It wasn't as appealing to scroll Facebook anymore. It was just a bunch of words. And pretty much her aimless scrolling was cut, cut to a halt. Jake and Sarah are examples of tech addicts who have tried to break their addictions to their devices. They dumped a lot of phone usage to take back time to free their minds, to free their lives. We hear a lot about tech addiction today. People often rant about their need to unplug to save their sanity. And I hear more and more people saying that even though their phone is something that they used to use for leisure, now it's gotten so wrapped up in things that are more have-tos rather than want-tos that they turn them off over the weekend. Don't allow them at the dinner table. It's a constant battle to try to keep the phone away so that they feel like they can focus. People today complain about that, and such an approach did seem to be what was going on during the Church of Corinth's time, when Paul was writing that first letter to them, where he challenged them to eliminate distractions and focus on things that would keep them attentive to God. For I decided I know nothing among you except Jesus Christ, says Paul, and him crucified in verse two of today's reading. As it is with our passion for our phones, so was Paul's passion for being focused on Christ and on redemption through the cross. At first glance, it would appear that living a Christ-centered life, at least in the mind of Paul, would mean getting away from anything that would distract us, 
It might seem that therefore, if we were to apply to apply the letter of Corinthians to our lives today, maybe it means we should completely get rid of our phones, get rid of technology. Well, yes, it can certainly be distracting, but we need to remember, just as I was telling the kids that your hands and feet can be tools for good as well as not so good, the devices we carry around, rely on, the computers that we have in our homes, or those that our friends and family may constantly be on, can actually be tools for good if we discern our use of them carefully. So we're not advocating that you completely turn off everything and go back to using a stone and chisel or even pencil and paper, which I used to grumble we should. The Apostle Paul says, as a master communicator, spreading the message is something that needs to be done in ways that are accessible to us and convenient. It's hard to believe that Paul could be dragged into today's world, but there's an argument that could be made that maybe he'd be carrying around a smartphone or a tablet. The point is that all the wisdom Paul needed was in the cross of Christ. And if he had such a device, he'd use it in a way that was helpful. He did distance himself from the world of completely purified wisdom and nothing else. There were people who spent entire lives just contemplating and not going out and sharing the word. But that wasn't Paul. Even though Paul was focused on Christ and the message of Christ crucified and resurrected for us, it wasn't just enough for him to focus on that wisdom. He needed to go out and share it. But like some people who focused on grandiose writings, there were communities in that day that revolved around philosophers that would write long, deep, flowery speeches. He said that he spoke plainly to the people. I find that a funny statement that he says I speak plainly to you because we often complain today that Paul uses language that's difficult to follow. But I think a lot of that time, that's the fault of the translations we read rather than Paul's actual words. If you get a translation that you're comfortable with, there could be some very straightforward messages in Paul. He didn't jump and beat around the bush. He told exactly what he felt as far as being saved, that Christ died because of humanity's sins, that God wants a relationship to us, and that Christ is the true way to that relationship. And that, he said, was the wisdom of God that sounded foolish to other people, those who wanted to use such language to describe God that it was esoteric, that they couldn't understand it. Paul is saying in today's message that if you're somebody that has communion with God, that has God in your life, in your own words, in your own speech, in your own manner, you can be spiritual and explain that to somebody else in a way they can understand. The Corinthians were sophisticated and Paul knew it. They were residents of a city in Greece that had a lot of influence from other cultures, other philosophers, other ways of thinking. If phones had been available, there probably would have been tweet storms about the message of Paul versus the message of other philosophies and faiths that were out there at the time. But he didn't insist, Paul didn't, that the Corinthians stop being cosmopolitan. He didn't say they needed to move away from the city or go meditate on a mountain. Instead, he said, I came to you in weakness and fear and trembling. My speech and proclamation were not plausible words of wisdom, but a demonstration of the spirit and power. Your faith would not rest on human wisdom, but the power of God. He wanted them to see the power of God right where they were, to understand it could be something in their daily lives as they understood them, even in the busyness of a city. That's the heart of Paul's approach to his message about Jesus, keeping it plain and simple so that Christian faith might rest entirely on the power of God. He knows the message about Jesus will never be flashy as something that pops up on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, 
It won't go viral based on a clever TED talk or something somebody says in a single four or five word sentence that sums up everything. He avoids the sophisticated language of Corinth, instead speaking only about Christ and Christ crucified. It's a message we can employ today if we want to demonstrate the wisdom of God's reign. The message is Christ crucified and risen for all of us. The message may appear dumb and stupid to many. There are many people who mock Christianity today, even on these same platforms I've been mentioning. But to those of us who've taken it to heart, it is the power of God. The method is to live as though the message is true, to live your life every day as if you believe it. Sometimes people will say, I completely believe in God to support and sustain me. And the first time any little thing happens, they panic. I can be guilty of that. It's human nature to panic when you don't know what's going to happen next. And it's sometimes a necessary survival technique. We're hardwired that way to be concerned about the future, about what's going to harm us. But believers in Christ will come together. They'll pray and ask God to show them the way, and often they'll find the help they need in their fellow human beings, their fellow Christians, or the comfort the scripture has to offer. That doesn't mean our problems are instantly, are instantly solved. We might not find everything we want in material form the second we say a prayer. But we know that God is with us, sustaining us, and it gives us more hope than just the blind panic. Christ on the cross is God's wisdom, according to Paul, hidden from those who will give a surface value, but which God has creed before the ages. None of the sophisticated rules of the world understood this, he said. For if those rulers of the world had understood, they wouldn't have crucified Jesus. But we remember that members of the Christian community can understand it, because our, these are the things God has revealed to, to us through the Spirit. Because get, the Spirit has been given to us, we have the ability to understand what Paul's saying to us about Jesus Christ and the crucifixion. Maybe not immediately in every way that we see it. This morning, I'll give you an example right off the cuff. The kids in confirmation had an assignment to read the Sermon on the Mount over the last week. And I asked my son, Michael, in the car on the way today, if he happened to read the Sermon on the Mount, and he confessed that he hadn't. Well, kids get busy, and sometimes if we don't remind them, they're going to have other priorities. So I said, okay, we'll take, that, take care of that right now. And so on my, on my smartphone, on my tablet, I pulled up the Sermon on the Mount and said, okay, we're going to listen to this. It was via an audiobook as we drive to First Church. And so I put it in, and we start to listen to the Sermon on the Mount. Useful tool on a phone that helped us with something that he needed to do to study for his confirmation class. And as the verses went on, I realized this is the King James Version. That when I was growing up, the King James Version, many of us were given the impression, or even directly told, was the only English version that was valid. Most churches don't believe that, and many Christians don't believe that anymore. We see it as one translation out of many. And frankly, for many, it uses antiquated language. It's Shakespearean-type language and says things in ways we don't understand. And furthermore, some scholars have taken issue with the way some of the things are translated. So now we have a mul multitude of translations available. Usually both I and Pastor Michael tend to use the scripture from the New Revised Standard Edition, which just a year ago became the New Revised Standard Updated edition, edition, which shows that our understanding of how best to translate language is changing and evolving. When I send out the e-news on Monday and put in it the scripture lesson for Sunday, you'll notice I try to link it to a few different translations. So if you don't understand or quite feel like you know what's going on in one translation, you can compare it to another. 
So back to the King James Version, I don't think Michael really got as much out of it as I would have liked him to, because even I had to struggle a couple of times, even though I grew up with the King James, to remember what the passage was saying, because I've studied it in more modern English and have come to understand it that way. But all of these translations are tools to help us understand and to build our faith. That's how it is in our faith, just like it can be with bones, that we want to boil down to the simple things. In our faith, Paul laid it out in a very straightforward manner. And he shares, and we can share these other gospels that came from other, other gospel writers and other letters, such as the one of Paul, that give these things for us. In our core Christian beliefs, we tend to focus around the words in the first letter attributed to Peter, that Christ bore our sins on the cross so that free from sin, we might live from righteousness. Christ gave himself for our sins and sets us free, according to Paul in Galatians. God reconciled all things to himself through Jesus by making peace through the blood on the cross, Colossians. Looking to his own death, when I am lifted from the earth, I will draw people to myself. That's Jesus in the Gospel of John. And he did it no matter how much, to show that no matter how much we might fall away, God loves us. For Jesus says in the Gospel of John, no one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for friends. That's the wisdom of God in a cross, a cross that brings us forgiveness, sets us free, reconciles us to Jesus, draws us and shows us how much God loves us. This is the wisdom that comes to us from the spirit of God. Eugene Cho, a pastor in Seattle, is convinced that technology and social media are making good impacts on the world and that there is a place for them in ministry. In particular, he points out ways we could incorporate them would be using them to communicate the message of the gospel in various ways, print, blogs, video, Twitter, Facebook. And I'll, I'll second that by saying that what we do on Mondays is we take the sermon that's recorded from the service every Sunday and we put it on a few different podcast feeds. And we have a handful of people from all around the world who listen to that. So First Church and the messages that go out here are reaching around the world because of this technology. Mobilize the faith community for awareness, actions, causes, and convictions. Check. We get a lot of our information about missions that we can do as the United Methodist Church through announcements we get in email or things that the United Methodist Church puts out on their website. And even at First Church, we share a lot of our announcements and now are planning for things over email and Facebook. Connect the church with members so that communication is a two-way street in the church community. Check, we communicate with you every week through the e-news, and sometimes we'll send out emails during the week if there's something urgent, and we put requests daily. And it is a true-way street. I don't know if you ever know it's on the bottom. It says you can reply to this message, and if you send those in, those do come straight to me, and I, Pastor Michael, will sort through them and respond. So please feel free to chat back with us on any of those channels. And build relationship with neighbors. By putting our services on Zoom during worship, and I'm going to say hi to all of our Zoom people right now. They're very faithful. We're delighted to have them with us, even if they can't be here in the sanctuary. We're reaching out to our neighbors, in fact, our church members, by doing that. And by having it available later on in the week on YouTube and through the emails that go out, others, too, might learn about First Church. And if they're trying to shop for a church or find a church home, this might be one they select. In the world today, writes Pastor Cho, whereas walls are constantly being built, Technology and social media help us to create windows with neighbors, the city and the larger world. We can look into our lives in the life of the faith community. 
just in the same way that we have these different tools we reach out for as a church, apps such as different translations of the Bible, or we can look at them as apps such as the different groups that we belong to at the church. Our phones keep us on track, and so can these apps in our lives. We might look at our phone and say, okay, I've been playing this game too much and I need to get rid of it. So we might choose to take that off and instead add a daily devotional we can listen to. There are wonderful ones out there that if you tend to be driving every day or almost every day, it's another way to do it. Listen to your devotional and get some time in with God. Or you might keep your Bible on your phone. When I used to serve on walks to Emmaus, we would give talks to the group. And when you were giving a talk to the group, they wanted you to use your actual Bible that you studied from. So there I am up there with my phone or tablet. I haven't used a hard copy Bible when I didn't have to in years. Secret, my vision's going and I can blow it up on there. But also I can look up any translation I want. And so this has become my Bible and my Bible. Just as you can do that with your faith life with apps, you can do that with other such apps in your faith life as well. I mentioned the walk to Emmaus and that can be a good way. We don't have them in Yuma as often anymore. We have them in Arizona about once every year or so. And that's a faith retreat weekend to get together with other Christians and go deep when you're off to Christ. Some of you may have heard of that. It's not for everyone. Some people find it too emotional or too jam-packed and exhausting. And that's fine. That's why there's different ways. For some people, the best way is a weekly study group. We have that here Wednesday nights. We have a study group with Pastor Mike. We have a Sunday school class for adults Sunday morning. It might be through a small group such as a prayer group. And we currently have two phone groups that meet on Monday to share prayer requests with each other. There's different apps, such as maybe reaching out to others. Many of us find our best way to commune with God is through volunteering. So that might be doing something like going down to the food bank on Tuesday mornings and helping sort the food. It might be through collecting and bringing in food once a month, as many of you have done today. That might be another so-called app that helps you organize your faith life, a way to get your faith life going. It might be a particular devotional guide that you'd like to use. I mentioned there's ones online. Some people use the upper room that we have uh, available as you leave the church. You might want to look at one of those if you don't have them. And for some people, it's actions such as singing or playing instruments. I know for me, playing handbells is a big part of my life and service to God. Now, frankly, when I'm handed a new sheet of music and the notes are all over the place and I've got four different bells to change, I might do a little bit of grumbling and choir maybe sometimes you're handed some music that as you're working through rehearsal, you're not necessarily thinking about, oh, I'm doing the work of God. You're thinking, why did this person write this measure like this? But even when we struggle with that, we might not be consciously aware of it. But didn't Jacob struggle with God or the angel of God in his visions? Sometimes our devotions to God look like struggle, working through things that are difficult for us until we find a way through. And God's with us in that struggle. Some apps, however, are things like the games that distract us or ones that only spread gossip, not so good, maybe for anybody, or at least particularly for us, and they need to be gotten rid of. There's some apps I've seen in my life that I struggle to get rid of. The immediately, when I hear somebody say something I disagree with, decide I'm going to disagree with anything they have to say, that's an app I've had in my life that I've had to be careful not to use and to try to delete. Or there's the, I'm only going to sing the 15 hymns I learned in childhood because those touch me the most. Some of us have that one, and it's a hard one to let go of. Or conversely, I don't want to sing any of the hymns I learned in childhood because that's for old people. It just made, reminds me of times I was bored. 
those kinds of things can kind of narrow our vision. And we looking either way. We can't really celebrate God in full communion with our neighbor. And even if we can't quite get into liking a particular song or it may not have the words that move us, we can enjoy seeing how it affects others or impacts others. Or again, enjoy wrestling in them ourselves. Why don't we like it? What would we change? What makes the song more resonate with us? So I guess I'm pointing to one of the worst apps of all and a pervasive one that I find even with myself. The It's one size fits all. People will stand up and say, this particular book changed my life and so everybody should follow and adhere to it. No matter how good a devotional book is or any sort of guidance, that's not going to be the case. It's not one size fits all. And I'm going to dare to say, even parts of the Bible, some people are going to struggle with more than others. And we can't say that one chapter of the Bible is going to fix or tell everybody exactly the same thing. Thankfully, God's given us quite a few to choose from. So the My Way or the Highway app is one I've decided needs to go. Pastor Cho was keenly aware that a smartphone is not a savior, and it never will be. Sure, technology and social media can enable us to connect to our culture, to our community, and our world. But they're not the most important aspects of our leadership or our ministry. At the center will be that message that Paul proclaimed and that we need to be spreading. Jesus Christ and Christ crucified. A faith that rests not on human wisdom, but on the power of God. And things not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. As a scholar named Charles Cousar says in a commentary on the passage, God is to be known particularly in the preaching of the crucified Christ. In the same way that no one app can completely organize our life, make our schedule perfect, or give us perfect entertainment, we can't have a completely full relationship with God unless we try to practice in a variety of ways, as I've discussed. The good news for today is that the message of Jesus doesn't depend on an upgrade, though. We'll never need to wait in line for the latest version or download the next software. We can, however, open our thinking and download software in a sense into the ways that we understand the world and God around us. That we can see God's gifts of forgiveness and eternal life are available to everyone who earnestly seeks them. So go ahead and delete all those unwanted apps from your life. If you need to, if they're distracting you, I challenge you to find maybe a spiritual practice that's gotten you into more of a rut than a good thing. How can you turn that around? Is it a way that you need to change? a new activity you need to pursue, or maybe you're being called to discuss it with somebody else and get their take on it. What can you take up? What new apps can you try this week or month or year in your spiritual life that will bring you closer to God? Hang on to Jesus Christ to whatever you do in the eternal wisdom of God that is revealed to us through the Holy Spirit. So be it. Amen. Amen. Amen.